0: Welcome to the Get Transformed podcast, where we transform the journey of Jewish divorce from hellish to healing.
1: We're your hosts, I'm Allie. And I'm David. And we've both personally navigated the challenges of divorce in the Jewish world.
0: We started this podcast when we each found that while there's often a lot of community support and education for things like child rearing and marriage, there's a real gap of support people in our community going through divorce.
1: We're also both Jewish educators, coaches and healers. So we're offering practical tools, perspectives and real life examples from our own clients that will change your challenging experience of divorce into an opportunity to transform your life in powerful and beautiful ways.
0: Join us as we delve into a new topic each week, answering real life questions and sharing parts of our journey with you all.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome. Uh, my name is Ellie Bass and this is my co-host, David Rosenthal. David. Hi hey everyone. Hey. Um, I feel like we should introduce ourselves to begin with and say a little bit about like why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you want to kick us off?
0: Sure. Um, my name is David. I come from Sydney, Australia, currently living in Detroit. Um, Ellie and I were chatting about our various clients and we saw a lot of overlap um, in what we do as coaches. And also we felt that there was a kind of a lack of attention given to Jewish um, husbands and wives going through divorce. And we thought, you know, why why don't we get together and chat a little bit about it, share some of the wisdom that we've gleaned through our experiences as coaches, as healers, and hopefully bring some value to people out there going through this really tough time both of us have both been through slash going through divorces and we know how hard it is firsthand and you know we I I kind of want to put out there what I wish would have been there for me Mm -hmm. when I was going through it
1: yeah same yeah I feel like it's a good overview just like in general um yeah I think we also come at it from similar backgrounds but also like different experiences. you know. I think one of the interesting things about divorce in general is every single, just as every relationship is unique, like every divorce is completely unique. Um, it's like made up of the chemistry of the two people involved, as well as all of the other mitigating factors. And then like how people deal with loss and separation and, and all of those things. So as, as unique as each marriage is, is as unique as each divorce. Um, so I think we come at it, you know, from our own um, individual experiences as well. Um, Just
0: one, one additional fact, I think, that is an overlap for both of us is the fact that we have a um, deep background in Jewish education. Um, right. And you now I was a rabbi for over a decade um, and worked with people in various stages of their life i never really dealt with divorce because it was much more of a younger family crowd for me hmm. and having gone through this myself um it's definitely an area that needs a lot of support
1: right yeah i've definitely seen that with a lot of my clients also coming um with a background as an educator, but also as a healer, like people who will come to me going through this process are dealing with so many layers. Um, And I think like you said, especially in Jewish divorce, there's not a lot of support or conversation out there. There's a lot about Jewish marriage and a lot about Jewish families, Um, but you're right. There's been a real gap, Um, whether it's for fear of talking about it, you know, that sort of like Sephardic, like superstitious thing. Like if maybe if we don't say it, it'll never happen. Um, but I also feel, um, there's still, I think a stigma in the community somewhat.
0: Massive, massive, especially in the Orthodox community. Yeah. There's, it's a failure in people's eyes. Right. If you, if you haven't succeeded, if you're divorced by definition, you're a failure. Um, and so it's not something that you want to bring up in polite company. It's not something that people discuss at all, really. It's not brought up in in educationary circles it just doesn't come up it's like a worst case scenario we don't really talk about this right uh, there's one guy in town that you can talk to you know who who basically helps you get your get and that's it
1: right so I think that's interesting I would say even outside of the orthodox community I think divorce still smacks in people's taste buds of failure um, I definitely. Um, dealt with that a lot like really trying to understand a paradigm for my experience of divorce as um, as not failure and that was yeah a, I mean I felt,
0: the that, I, I, I felt it I felt I'm still feeling it I'm still grappling with that concept myself internally it's not easy to you know prioritize your marriage which is what Judaism does in a big way you know right, right. and then to have it not work out well, obviously you failed, right? right. What, what, other, what other option is there? Um, and obviously there are other options, but it's definitely not the starting point through this journey.
1: Yeah, so, okay, I feel like we could do an entire episode on that piece alone. So I think we should definitely like, you know, stick that in the put parking a, put lot. A pin in,
0: put <laughs> and, a pin on that one.
1: And come back to it. Um, but today what we thought we would focus on is, you know, something more immediate, Um, which are really like, what are the top three things that we sort of wish people would have told us um, as we began that? And also, you know, taking a look at our clients, what are some of the things that um, we've found most viable and helpful for people who are just beginning the process? Um, Because we also acknowledge that the beginning, middle and ends of those processes are totally different stages. Um, And so we're trying to, address each of those things together in this podcast. So, okay, do you wanna start? What was one thing that you've seen that your clients are like, here's the mistake I made or this is what I wish someone would have told me?
0: So the thing that kind of shouts out immediately at me, um, when you're going through this, especially if you have kids involved um, and like there's so many different players, but the person who gets like the least priority is often yourself. Um, you're mm-hmm. trying so hard to juggle a thousand different balls and you don't realize that the number one, most important, you know, focus of your journey really needs to be yourself and taking care of yourself. You know, the quote unquote self care, self care, which I think has got a really bad definition in people's minds. Like self care. Most people think of self care as spas and, and totally. manicures.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, it, and it's something much simpler, like sleeping enough mm-hmm. and eating enough and exercising enough those those like top three items are like the number one biggest mistake my clients make especially sleep you know you're a different human being when you sleep and That's when you sad. don't sleep and and during this time I know myself my sleep went out the window I was right. not sleeping well I was not able to fall asleep not able to stay asleep because um, there's so much anxiety stress just your brain is going a thousand miles an hour and it's just really hard to calm your system to sleep and all those kinds of things. So that's like my number one with my clients, my number one thing that I start with is how's your sleeping? How's your eating? Right. How's your exercising? Those yeah. other two things are super important too. Eating, you know, yeah, I could go on a lot on this. It's gonna be different does things. It resonate?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And it's also different things for different people. Like I remember when my kids were really young, um, uh, their pediatrician saying everyone's stuff, like when kids are anxious, it's gonna come out in um, different ways for different kids. So for some kids, it's sleep. For some kids, it's eating. For some kids, it's um, you know uh, disappearing into screens. Like different kids regulate themselves in different ways. And I think in this case, it's the same thing. For some people, they might have no problem sleeping while they're in the process of, of divorce, even though it's tremendous upheaval, but they can't eat. Or they're just like emotionally eating all the time. And so I think recognizing one of the best flags to start to get to know yourself is where uh, where are things falling off the rails? And, oh, okay, that will be a flag for me that I'm not doing well if this thing isn't functioning well. Like if I'm not getting enough sleep or I am eating too much or I am, um, you know, spacing out. So right. knowing for yourself, what's your particular way that your stress is going to manifest?
0: Yeah, I, I, I find that if you treat your body like it was a toddler, like it was your toddler who you've got responsibility for, mm-hmm. you have a completely, almost an immediate, completely different paradigm of looking at yourself. Like I have to take care of my body. I've got to give it a, a nourishing meal right now and I'm going to. I'm, and, and often it comes, it almost like there's layer upon layer here of like, almost like punishing yourself, almost like, you know, there's so many different ways of not prioritizing self-care you know I'm not worthy, um, apathy, complete apathy, but you, you've right. got to really take the responsibility and say, you know what, there's a, my number one responsibility is taking care of myself because I can't take care of anyone else if right. I'm not uh, functioning properly.
1: So let's break it down for people just a little bit more, like, because you're right. I think most people think self-care and they think, okay, I'm going to go to the spa. I'm going to get my nails done, get a massage. Like it usually involves some sort of larger commitment. Um, and, you know, we're talking about eating, sleeping, exercising, those kinds of things. Like, so like, where do people start? What What's a simple couple things that people can do
0: so the first thing i always tell my clients is is people generally know how much sleep they need to be a a happy human being Mm -hmm. like they they're they're old enough to know you know what i need seven and a half hours sleep i need (laughs) eight hours i need
1: (laughs) that'd be nice yeah
0: yeah (laughs) look it's definitely not a simple thing to achieve especially if you have younger kids right it's like it's an it's very challenging um but you know having a bedtime is the number one way to have a good night's sleep, a consistent bedtime. I mean, the scientists say this, but just from a, a habitual perspective, mm-hmm. setting an alarm, I tell my clients setting an alarm for bedtime is more important than setting an alarm for waking up time. Mm. Literally having an alarm on your phone. I, ne- I know that I need to start, set my alarm for 10 o'clock so that by 10 30, I'm in bed. Or if right. you take an hour to get to bed, you know, 9 30 so that I can be in bed by 10 30. Whatever it is, like do work backwards. Yeah. I need to be up by 6 a.m. I need eight hours sleep. Okay. So that puts me back at 10 p.m. I need to go to sleep at 10 p.m. in order to get eight hours sleep by 6 a.m. And so if I need to get to bed by 10 p.m., I need to start getting ready for bed at 9 p.m. Right. And I do I have my shower, I have my this my book, whatever it is, have a, have a wind down routine. But basically you work backwards from how much sleep you need, when you need to get up, and you set your bedtime by then. That's, that's like my first tip.
1: It's such a huge thing. I just finished teaching like a, um, like a program on sleep. And it, it's such a funny thing that people think, oh, when you're teaching little kids to sleep, like you've got this whole sleep hygiene routine. Like what are all the things you do for an hour before you go to sleep? And oh, are yeah. those things that are conducive to actually allowing yourself to power down? Because sleep is such a, um, such a vulnerable thing to do. And especially when you're in the process of divorce and you're feeling not vulnerable, you're feeling like you have to protect yourself, you're feeling like you're um, in a high state of anxiety, Um, letting go and lying down and closing your eyes and being completely vulnerable, which you are when you're asleep, is not an easy thing to do. Um, So what are the things that you can do before you go to bed that allow you to be able to let go? which is essentially what
0: plus 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 add in the fact that we have phones that are so addictive and netflix where where you can binge you know instagram where the reels never end yeah you know there's so many things that and and all those things are often used as ways to regulate our emotions like to calm ourselves down Mm -hmm. you know we watch a tv show because it just allows us to almost leave our body so there's so many reasons to get our sleep sleep sucked away from us.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, And
0: before you know it, it's 1 a.m. in the morning and you've just, and you're going to, you know, you've got to be up in five hours and you you feel like so guilty on top of everything else. Like, I can't believe I just wasted my time. It's not like you did anything useful. You just like wasted your time. But you kind of justified it because like you had a long day. So like, just think about what you tell your your toddler.
1: Right.
0: Like, I know that it's really fun to watch Netflix right now. I know that you really want to be on your screen right now and I totally get it, but we need to take care of you. And if we're, in order for you to be, you know, a happy child tomorrow morning, we need to get you to bed right now. So we're going to turn off the screen an hour before bedtime. Like you're, you're treating yourself gently and lovingly, right. like you would uh, your child. And, and this is
1: to say, like I know some people will push back on that, like this idea of interacting with ourselves like that, like oh, like that I'm just like infantilizing myself. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying these are legitimate parts of ourselves that need a particular type of like love, care, attention. Um, that is unconditional in a way, right? Like, oh, I'm only going to take care of you if you do this. No, we're, we're trying to establish like a relationship with ourselves that is, um, you know, when you say self-care, it just involves all of those pieces. It's not just physically caring for yourself. It's also like emotionally and psychologically setting boundaries, checking in, you know, all of those different pieces.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. I can hear that someone who hasn't, who hasn't interacted with themselves um, in this way, it might be a little weird. Yeah. I, I th- think it's, for me, it's kind of a gentle discipline. Mm-hmm. Like hard discipline, especially when you're going through a rough ride, you just want to, you know, flip the bird at yourself. <laughs> you know, you just want right. to say, bugger off. Like, I don't really want to do that. Um, And like, screw it, I'm just going to watch TV, right?
1: Yeah, and I think when you set a bedtime for yourself, that's where that push-blow, I think, can come in. Like, am I going (laughs) to be really hardcore with myself and like put myself through because I didn't like turn everything off at that time?
0: Right, and I know that different people really um, have very different ways of self-discipline and very different attitudes towards bedtime. You know, some people are like, you know, I've dealt with my kids all day long. I want to have some me time. I just put them to bed at nine o'clock, and now you're telling me I've to turn off my screen and go to bed so that 10 p.m. I can go to sleep. But like, right. no way. Um, so I get that that's a struggle for some people, um, and there there's no simple there are no simple answers for everyone. But you got to do what works for you. But ultimately, knowing, hey, I really need to get go a good night's sleep. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse if I if I don't take care of this. Tomorrow I'm going to be exhausted, and then I'm going to have less discipline for the nighttime routine and less discipline to get to bed on time, and then I'm just going to get more and more and more tired until I crash and get really sick, right. or I drop the ball with the kids in some way. Um, so it's just realizing, you know what? For this time period, I'm just going to be a little bit more careful with my sleep, a little bit more disciplined, um, right. but in a really loving, kind way to myself, and not in a, you know, uh, drill sergeant of the, in the army.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's so important. And then that's the way that, you know, we're talking about focusing a lot on sleep, but it applies to all of those other arenas that you talked about in terms of exercise, in terms of eating, like how you approach each of those parts of self-care is almost as important as the self-care itself.
0: hundred percent. That's an amazing point. Yes. The way you approach it, I'm just going to say it again, the way you approach it is almost as important as the item itself with care, with kindness, with love it's like it's a paradigm shift and it's and no one else in this time period often is being loving towards you the person right. who you were who you were receiving the most loving and caring parts of your life has left that role and so you really have to step up and do that to yourself and that's really a, an amazing gift you can give to yourself realizing that you can give to yourself those very things that you were so desperate to get from your spouse you have the ability to actually give yourself that love Right. that gentleness, that care that we all want. But this is a time that you need to develop that muscle of giving it to yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah it's interesting also in the end, in a way that's like, um, everybody talks about marriage being a crucible for growth. And in that way, divorce, I think also is such a huge crucible for growth. Because if you can learn to fulfill your own needs, um, it can like really transform, not just whatever's going to be going forward, but, you know, realizing like how much of my needs was I putting on my spouse that potentially I could have been actually fulfilling for myself and, and allowing ourselves through that process of self care to be like, Oh, actually, yeah, I don't need that from another person. I can completely do this for myself we can't do everything for ourselves, but there are a lot of pieces of self-care that can fulfill needs in a very deep way. And I think we don't get the opportunity to explore that um, sometimes until we're forced to.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the images that came to me through my process was I remember this this feeling of my heart wanting so much to like give and the recipient that was usually taking that love wasn't receiving it. And I realized, oh, wow, I can actually turn this flow back onto myself right and i can be both the giver and the recipient of my love mm-hmm. and it's like mind right totally like, wow
1: yeah wow. so interesting okay anything else that we should look at related to self-care
0: well i was just gonna ask you do you find a, a theme in your clients um, the things that you know are consistently dropped in the self-care arena or is it just more of the same
1: I think for sure everything that we mentioned eating exercise sleep um I definitely um see people forgetting about relationships like other relationships like sort of dropping out of social circles because they're not sure like who in the community is still their friend or if they were friends with lots of couples like what that looks like um and definitely like social relationships and other people are so important to be able to have support anchors feedback during a huge time of transition. Like you would imagine like built into the Jewish grieving process is Shiva where people come to you and sit with you and just be with you. They're not even like allowed to talk to you until you talk to them, but it's a process of saying you're not alone. And um, we don't have that. Um, in Jewish divorce. But it doesn't mean we don't need those social connections. And I think that would be one of the things I would say is, you know, deep, meaningful social connections that you can have in your life as an anchor and as feedback and something to um, help you navigate all the difficulties. I think people forget that sometimes and they can sometimes just retreat into their own world or... Um, not look for those it's it's funny
0: it's funny you should say because i felt i totally retreated in my process and i enjoyed that um it was it was necessary for me to kind of cut ties especially with people who had a very different perspective on things than me like i didn't want to have to um, defend myself constantly with people Mm -hmm. um and fight you know i just i just felt good about saying you know what i just don't have the energy for these relationships and that's okay Uh, The one thing that I, the one part that I would agree on is the having connections with other divorced people. Mm. Because having someone who's gone through it and who can relate and who can give you tips or whatever it may be, um, having a coach, uh, not to toot our own horns here, but it really does make a difference having someone who is in your corner unconditionally yeah, and has seen it happen and can really give you a really an amazing amount of support. I had, I had someone like that who just, they gave me hope mm. um, at a time when right. I didn't have hope. Um, they weren't Jewish. Um, they were outside the community, but they had been through divorce and they just kind of helped me in that area and in a way that I don't think someone who hasn't gone through divorce could give to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really true. Yeah, I think find your team is a big piece. Who are the people that are going to help you navigate? Yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so one of the things that I wanted to throw on, throw the gauntlet down on is um, something that I see, and it actually speaks to what you were saying about taking some time to be by yourself. Um, meaning, um, who do you want to be in this process? I think a lot of the time we spend... Um, an inordinate amount of time if we're dating or you know looking to get married like who do I want to be who do I want to be with but we don't always ask that question when we're in the process of divorce and Hmm. um, there is a question of who do I want to be in this process right do I want to be the person who's falling apart do I want to be the person who is um, you know do I want to be my best version of myself in this or do I want to be something else, and just. Could I ask you a question, question on that? Yeah, totally.
0: Which at which point in the kind of you know long process? If you say, let's say you know zero is you've just started the divorces, and hundred is like you're done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the the gets being given. Where mm-hmm. where are you talking that right now? Because uh, because I have uh, my body is already reacting to what you're saying. In, I in think it depends if way. you have.
1: I think it depends on a couple of things. If you have kids, you better be asking that question pretty early because I see a lot of people who have kids and don't ask that question and they drag their kids through that entire divorce with very little regard of, you know, modeling and being their best selves. Um, So I think that's one piece. Look, I'm saying asking who you want to be, doesn't mean you're going to get it all perfect, like all from the beginning. But I think at least asking the question, like, am I just going to be on default and run by my emotions and just like not consciously deciding what I'd like this to look like? Or can I at least make a decision like, here's some of the um, lines I will not cross, mm-hmm. right? I am not going to take this out of my kids. I am not going to become the yelling person even when my ex triggers me, right? Like, where are the lines for me? And deciding on those lines consciously because I think most people don't. They just, you know, do their best, which is fine. But if you can ask your quest- that question to yourself, and I think you're right, you have to ask it again at different stages, right? Maybe- I think the way you're
0: phrasing it now is actually a lot easier for me to hear, meaning, Deciding who I want to be in this process is a very um, daunting question. It's very hard to. It's it's almost like the positive versus the negative, right? Who do I want to be is a positive question. Who do I want to turn into? Who do I want to like? What's my values versus who I don't want to be? That's right. a, actually a lot easier for me to get my head around, mm-hmm. even in the early stages. I don't want to be the one who's bad mouthing their x to the children i don't want to be the one who is um having fights in front of the children i don't want to be the one who's using the children as leverage you know against my spouse so i think that the don'ts are a lot easier than the do's yeah and i think the
1: don'ts are easier than the do's in the beginning because you don't know who you're going to be you know at the other end of this process this is a transformative process if you use it as such and you have no idea what you're going to look like on the other side if you're using it as a crucible for growth um, but to ask the question, at least in the beginning, I think you're right. Sometimes when you're in survival mode, just saying these are the these you know you shall not pass. These are the things that I will not do. Those are the red lines. Definitely a much way easier way to think about it when you're in survival mode, for sure.
0: Right, and just to um, press pause on one of the items that you said, which I think is well, both of our heads are in the same space here. That divorce, um, although it can be tragic, it can lead to such beauty. Um, in personal development, in relationships with your children that are yep. completely different than they were before in a really positive way, your yep. a relationship with your family and friends, all areas, and particularly, you know, your own transformation. It's such an amazingly challenging opportunity, yeah. but it can lead to, you know, I don't, I, you know, I could, when, it, when this started for me, I could hear that intellectually. At the
1: beginning, yeah, it's, you can't tell someone anyone. in the middle of pain. I didn't want
0: anyone to say that to. Of me. course, I could jump in a lake. I'm just. In extreme, fact, extreme I, okay, pain. let
1: me ask you a rabbi question because I think you're not even allowed to say that to somebody when they're in the midst of suffering. Like you're just supposed to help them. Like you, yeah, you, you can know, say, I'm say to yourself, God, "This is a this test this for the best, for right. the best
0: reason." You know, that's that's a great that's a job, a friend of job. You know, that's like it's not not the not the right right not the right thing to do as a friend right. but to know that internally for yourself and and to have someone in your corner who believes in you that you can you know that i heard this very early on in my in my divorce someone someone said this great analogy to me about a caterpillar and they said the first stage a caterpillar goes into is they turn into green mush mm-hmm. right they go from being a green caterpillar green caterpillar they go in the cocoon and then they turn into a green mush inside the inside the the womb if you would cut it open then it'll just <laughs> come out as green mush right and that's the stage that you got to go through in divorce you got to right. go through the green mush part where you just like fall to pieces become melt into the floor um in pain and agony and all the rest of it so that's an essential part of the process and then you get to become a butterfly hopefully eventually but um yeah It felt good to feel like, oh, yeah, I'm allowed to be in the green. You can fall apart. Yeah. Yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I but I also feel and this, I think, is the Jewish way of thinking about it, where it's like a highly structured improvisation. Like um, I can fall apart. Up to a point. Like, here's the places where I won't fall off, Um, because you need to know where the edges of the cliff are. Cause it's very easy when you're feeling broken to literally just roll off the cliff. Um, right. So setting I rolled
0: further than I thought I would have. Mm. Like my boundaries where they would have been, you know, if I would have predicted, Hey, during divorce, what will my, well, what will my boundaries look like? Right. I went, uh, they were different than that. And for you sure. have to cut yourself. You have to cut yourself some slack right. in that regard. You can't, um, hold yourself to the same standard uh, when you're falling apart than when you think you're about to, like then when you anticipate what you would look like when you fall apart that makes sense.
1: yeah and remembering that you're setting those boundaries while you're falling apart
0: right someone wise once said it's like you're trying to build the plane while flying it
1: it's funny how they say that it's so yeah. true um okay so that was the th- second piece that we want to talk about was this idea of, you know, just making some decisions as you go along, depending on what stage you're in. Um, you know, who do you want to be in this process? Who do you not want to be in this process so that you can come out on the other side, looking back and saying, like, I did the best I could. Like, I feel like I moved through that with as much dignity and grace as I possibly could through what was a difficult situation um okay and i think we were going to do one more piece so you want to kick that off
0: yeah i mean this one is kind of like a, a part b of your previous one um and that is short-term vision versus long-term vision that okay. you know if you recognize that this person that you're divorcing you're going to be interacting with them for the rest of your life
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially if you have if you if you don't have children that's a different story right but but um most of the clients I deal with, if not all of them, have children. And so you're going to be interacting with your ex for the rest of your life, um, more or less. And so if you recognize that the decisions you're making today really are going to set that path in motion, and you really want to have the best possible long-term relationship. So thinking long-term versus short-term is, is you know, are you arguing over a $1,000 couch right now? Like that's what you want to get, you know, into the nitty-gritty about this couch. And and you know what? You've got a point. I'm sure you have a point. Like right. I'm sure you you you're right, quote unquote. But is it worth is it worth the long-term ramifications? You know, you want to set yourself up realizing this is a long-term investment in a new relationship. That you didn't want to have but you're going to have to have so you might want to think about it from a from a 60,000 foot perspective as opposed to a two foot perspective. Right. Um, So that's kind of the major mistakes I see happening is like let's just step back. Let's step back a little bit and see what this looks like if you you times it by a year, two years, three years.
1: And I think that speaks to also what you were saying about making decisions while you're in survival mode. I think part of the challenge of that is it's very hard to do long-term thinking when you're in survival mode or when you're, um, triggered and in pain, which you are a lot in the beginning of that process. So, um, okay. How can we then help people shift the paradigm into long-term thinking when they're triggered or just trying to survive one more day?
0: Great question. I think the first step is um, learning how to self-regulate, which is a whole nother topic we should put a pin in um, because it's like, it's key, absolutely key. But when you go into fight or flight mode, you literally lose the ability to use your brain properly. Like your prefrontal cortex shuts off and you can't be logical. You can't be long-term thinking when your heart's racing, when you're feeling like you want to you just want to yell at them and swear at them and 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 you know slam the door in their face Mm -hmm. so you can't um make long-term decisions when you're feeling that way so you need to pause say you know what great conversation great great you know really happy to discuss this i'm not up to doing that right now like you're allowed to take that boundary for yourself nothing has to be there's no there's no emergency situations very rarely obviously you know with children who are sick there is but very very rarely yeah in fact I would venture
1: to say at any point if you feel like something is an urgently emergency situation you should be checking yourself first like that's usually a flag that you're triggered about something and it isn't necessarily like life or death unless it's actually life or death
0: right so calming yourself down going for a walk getting an outside perspective, just, just breathing, you know, there's so many self-regulation tools out there. You can, well, I'm sure we'll, we'll cover it in, in an episode, but that's the, that's the number one thing is to take the temperature down within yourself. Forget about the other person, just yourself, take your temperature right. down.
1: This is perfect too, because it just circles us right back. Dah, 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 and a tour away to self-care, because if you're doing self-care, you're going to be able to regulate yourself. And I find you know with a lot of my clients the the line is like radical self-care when you're in the beginning of this process like how radical self-care is one of the things that helps you regulate your system um, mm-hmm. find an anchor of calmness in the storm and um, have more capacity to go into choice making and decision making rather than like fight flight or freeze So, I think it brings us back to that for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Being hangry and trying to have a discussion doesn't lead anywhere good. You know, (laughs) same thing if you're tired or if you're right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, we covered number one self care, which was basically sleep, eat, exercise, and social relationships, Mm -hmm. making sure that you prioritize yourself, treat yourself with loving kindness and care. The attitude you have towards yourself is just as important as the the things that you're taking care of.
1: Yep, Um, and number two, who do you wanna be or who do you not wanna be, depending on how you wanna ask that question and what stage of the process you're in. And number three,
0: was having the long-term perspective that you're gonna be with this person, interacting with this person probably the rest of your life. And you really wanna have that as a perspective for all the small interactions that you're having, resolving the issues. And in order to really have the best perspective, you need to self-regulate and to not engage when you're in this kind of tense mode, which can seem rather daunting because almost every interaction is tense. But yeah, to be continued on that regard.
1: Awesome. Thanks for joining us. If you have an idea for an episode or a question for either David or myself, don't hesitate to reach out or you can leave us a voice message. The link for that is in the liner notes. If you think you know someone who could benefit from any of our information, ideas, tools, or conversations, please go ahead and share this podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us on whatever podcast app you're using. And please leave us a rating and a review so anyone who is trying to find us can do so more easily. Remember, you're not alone. You got this. And we're all working together to get transformed. Bye for now.